YouTube channel. <laughs> so it makes it easier. Um, back when, oh, okay. when you when I started YouTube, you couldn't use your name as your your handle on YouTube. So now it's my name. If you type in youtube.com slash Julie Golub that comes up, right? But for a while there, it was like 8675309. Not really, but <laughs> close enough that people wouldn't really be able to remember it. <laughs> so I bought the URL, julieg.tv, so that it would point to my YouTube channel. Ah. <laughs> She's definitely given that phone number out before, though. Yeah, like, yeah. Welcome to this week's episode of the Casual Shooter Podcast. This week we have a full house. You have me, you have Leo, and Chris, and another distinguished guest we're proud to uh, have on our show this week, Julie Gollum. Julie, say hello. (laughs) Thanks for having me. How are you? (laughs) Oh, thanks for being on the show. We appreciate it. We're excited. Oh, my pleasure. If you would, take a minute and just introduce yourself real quick. Sure. I'm Julie Golub. I'm a pro shooter uh, for a number of different companies, mainly Smith & Wesson, Federal, Trijicon, Safari Land. And I have been competing uh, in the shooting sports for many years, going on 30 this season. Um, Managed to bring home a bunch of titles. And uh, yeah, I I love shooting sports. I love sharing shooting. And that's kind of my story. (laughs) Okay. That's a a little understatement. Uh, I mean, I've been on your I've been on your web page, and it's um, somewhat intimidating. Oh, there, I don't mean there's, it to there's be. a lot of titles on that page. All, all I want to say is that you know what, Tom Brady doesn't have nothing on you. They oh, might, yeah. They might call him the goat, but no, nah, you you definitely like ahead. You're the lioness of this. Oh well, that, that's very kind. It's 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 you know doing what you love is 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 always something that's amazing and to be able to have made this a career i'm very very grateful okay now we usually i don't know if you've heard any of our podcasts but you we usually start with get to know julie okay (laughs) so so we're going to ask you a few more personalized questions number one favorite movie favorite movie um it's probably oh this is so hard that you didn't tell me this is going to be so difficult um favorite movie is probably i'm going to say gladiator oh okay that's a new one solid choice i got got a good thumbs up on that one all right i can stay on (laughs) yeah yeah that's three thumbs up there Uh, how about favorite book oh boy um this is really hard. Um, I can't even, oh my goodness. This is, this is horrible. (laughs) This is worse than the movie. Um, I would say I'm a big, I like sci-fi fantasy. So I, um, I watch, uh, you know, I read a lot and of course I've watched Game of Thrones, but I really enjoy the Game of Thrones series in the, in the books. They're very, very good. You just gotta have, you know, like a notebook so you can remember all the characters. (laughs) I didn't even realize that was a series of books. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Totally. Very much so. <laughs> I keep waiting for him to finish the last one so I can read I that know, one. I know, right? <laughs> oh, wow. Favorite historical figure? Annie Oakley. Oh, that was quick. I like it. That's another new one. Yeah, that That's one, really like, good. Ready. Yeah. That's awesome. Favorite gun and caliber. They don't have to be the same. So it doesn't have to be a nine millimeter Smith and Wesson. It could be a Smith and Wesson pistol and a six, five Creedmoor for all we know. Oh boy. You know, I get this question so many times and I give the same answer. Like it's like asking a girl what her favorite pair of shoes are. It depends on the outfit. Um, I would say my favorite overall Yes, caliber would be nine millimeter because that's the vast majority of what I shoot. But as far as a pistol, if I had to pick a favorite, um, it would probably be the Smith and Wesson nine millimeter nineteen eleven that I won the Ipsic World shoot with. So that's I'm gonna pick that one because it's very special. So, but it's a very very okay. awful question and it's torture to answer it. 
<laughs> Sorry, not very <laughs> discriminatory. <laughs> All right. So what I've started doing on the fifth question is trying to find something unique to the individual. Okay. So this question is unique to Julie because as I read on your webpage that you are, you've traveled all over the world and you are inspired by ethnic cuisine. Yes. So this is a two-parter. Two One, have you ever had cobra blood? Roe blood? Cobra blood? Cobra. In oh, Thailand, that's a, an exotic. Like, uh, no, I have not had cobra. I have had snake, but I have never eaten cobra. I would though. So what's the most exotic food you've ever had? Oh my goodness. Um, I've eaten pig brains in the Philippines, um, fish heads there as well. Uh, we've had mm, lots of, yeah, we generally eat some bizarre foods at home. I've actually cooked grasshoppers before, believe it or not. So uh, they're very tasty. <laughs> So again, Lean times, I take it? No, they're just, there were just so many of them around, you know. When you got a, the, a plague of Wait, grasshoppers, you might as well do something. I was going to say, we're about to hit the 17-year cicada, so you're going to be set. You know, I don't know if they're going to be here in Missouri, but if they are, uh, game on. <laughs> I'm ready. A little garlic, a little salt, a little olive oil, we are all set. There you, there you go. Now, here's the contextual question that I was going to bring up. Oh, God. Okay. I noticed your maiden name and your married name are almost the same. I almost feel like you planned that. You was know, that planned? No, it was not planned. But yes, all I did was drop the ski and add a B. Yes. <laughs> Just yeah. it worked out. <laughs> it did. You it almost did. didn't even have to change your name. I didn't have to change my signature at all. It's just bleh at the end. It worked out great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you started competitive shooting at the age of 14. Yes. Okay. Um, and then I, I know according to your webpage how you got on the Army Marksmanship Unit, but can you, for the audience, explain how you went from 14-year-olds just starting shooting to 18-years-old joining the Army and being on the Army Marksmanship Unit. Yeah, sure. Well, it all started um, a few years earlier than that. I would hang out uh, at the range with my dad. Uh, we were a little range officer, dynamic duo, daddy-daughter team. And I fell in love with the shooting sports from working matches. And when I turned 14, my dad and I decided that I was old enough, mature enough, safe enough, all of that good stuff, strong enough to start competing. And so I had a foundation of knowing all of the rules of the sport, watching all of my heroes compete for so many years that uh, it all just came together for me uh, when I just, you know, pulled the trigger, the proverbial trigger on my first match. And uh, I started out as a very kind of timid shooter, very accurate, kind of like, okay, I'm going to hit all A's. I'm going to be perfect. And, uh, and then I decided that I, you know, I couldn't suppress my natural competitive streak. And uh, by the time I was a junior in uh, high school, I had earned a slot to the USPSA National Championships. And when I was there, I caught the attention of the Army shooting team, their action shooting team coach. And they recruited me to go directly to... Um, the Army Marksmanship Unit after basic training and uh, MP school. So that's how it all happened. That uh, you had to, I can't imagine there are, that that he catches wind of that many shooters. So you must have really made an impression for him to come to you and recruit you. Well, so, you know, in, in all fairness, you know, 30 years ago, there weren't that many young girls on the range. And, uh, you know, the Army was looking to expand its team. They were really hoping to be able to have a female on the team. And uh, here I was, the right place at the right time, you know, top 16 female at the, at the Nationals. And they're like, all right, we see potential in this one. Let's see if we can get her to come in. And and of course, uh, <laughs> I, I had a dream I, when I was shooting and, and uh, back then, especially I had this big dream to become a national champion. And I knew that really the only way to do that was to have a, a full time job, uh, full time support for it. And so, you know, getting the chance to shoot for the army, I, I was not going to pass uh -oh. that up. <laughs> but so you did you did educate me. 
okay. thought DD I thought DDT was a very bad weed killer when in reality it's daddy daughter team. Yes. <laughs> I learned something new today. I've been corrected. So you joined the army, you went to um, base you, well you went and got your MOS as an MP. And then you went to the AMU. Now, how long were you at the AMU? I stayed in for about eight years, just just under eight years. Okay. And what was your job in the Army Marksmanship Unit? Compete and win. <laughs> That's the mission statement okay. of all soldiers at the Army Marksmanship Unit, yeah. Okay. So I noticed, um, and I don't remember if it was Casey or whom... But I saw some videos where they were talking about how they were also tasked with training units and marksmanship. Was that also part of your job? So it, it's funny. Um, the Army Marksmanship Unit, um, because of its uniqueness, it would bounce around <clears throat> to different heads within the military. So actually when I was in, we fell under recruiting command for a while. So um, I would go to air shows, I would go to events, um, the Great American Outdoor Show, all of that sort of thing to kind of work to promote the Army to encourage yeah. new potential soldiers to come in. And then later we fell under TRADOC, which is the training division for the military, and then that, that sort of shifted. So, you know, it just depended on how the funding went. Um, and that sort of thing. So the, you know, the AMU has not always been just one thing. It was a part of a recruiting command at one point. Now it's training. I still believe, I still believe it is still training. Um, but it, you know, it shifts a little bit just like everything does in life, you know, when <laughs> the, yeah. the, the hierarchy changes. So the vast majority of the time while I was in, we fell under recruiting command. Okay. Well, interesting. A little bit of history. So I, I do good. have a question while Dave's looking up his next question is, <laughs> yeah. so you're, you're an MP as your MOS. Yes. Yeah. Have you ever arrested anybody? I have not. I have directed traffic. Does that count? <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> like, Let's tell me the story about how you arrested this guy who was important. No, no, I oh, did. Well. I did next direct time. traffic. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> oh, that's, so we all that, have that in common. We've all directed traffic at some point. Yeah. Wonderful. We have. We have. Yeah. Not not something we normally... Yeah. I've noticed it's not on your bio page. It's not on our bio page either. So. No, but it is a very important <laughs> skill. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it can help. you got to have the, the right hand gestures. You know? Yeah. When we... Nowadays... Nowadays, it doesn't matter the hand gesture. We, uh, with the public and citizens, tell them to stop and everything, and we're trying to give them a high five. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. you go. <laughs> it's like, no. Yeah, no, at the, at the AMU, um, you know, when you're recruited to be in, basically, um, after basic training in AIT, you're, you transition directly to the Army Marksmanship Unit, and you're given a time limit. Usually, it's one year to meet a specific set of requirements that your coach or team sets for you in order to earn one, the black hat, the coveted black hat so you can travel to compete, and two, to show that you have the potential enough to stay in. So that first year can be pretty stressful for uh, you know a new soldier or private to come in and have to make meet those gates, that system, and then every year it's the same thing. You always have to to show progression, otherwise they'll, you know, they'll start looking to replace you. It's a very very competitive environment to be in. I, I, I think I've heard a, and we'll get into Lanny Basham later, but I think I heard an interview with Lanny saying the same thing about how, if he didn't, if he didn't win a match or whatever it was at the, he was going to be kicked off the team and replaced. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, absolutely. I imagine that is stressful, but okay. Now I had a question, but I'm, I'm going to feed off of that. Okay. You win nationals. I mean, how much more can you progress? Well, you, you know what I mean? It. Like you're the national <laughs> champion. Like, all right, here's an example. Here's an example for you. Jacob Hetherington. Yes. He won nationals last year. Yes. Um, now, I'm not trying to put you on the spot or, or nor him, um, but it looks like he's going to be fourth or fifth this year. Yeah. So then how does that... How would that play into? Well, if he... He's still a national champion. 
Absolutely. And, and, and these, are, there's, these are set goals. It, what I'm saying with these gates is that, um, you know, if you're an 80% level competitor, right, and um, your next goal is to be an 85% competitor and you're staying at 80 or you drop down to 75, then, then you're basically on the bubble. You're not showing any improvement. There is an understanding that the level of, of competitors and the competition is always increasing. And, you know, sometimes things aren't absolutely perfect. It's not like, hey, you didn't win the Olympic gold medal this time. You're, you're getting the boot, especially when you're top dog. Right. If you're you're the top right. performer on the team, you're you're safe. But there's always that element where it's the loyalty is is there to a certain degree but they're always keeping an eye on young talent because you know in, at the end of the day it's to promote the army and the readiness of the army and that sort of thing so it's it's uh it's not like you know a lot of other sponsored shooter situations where you know you you can do a lot on social media to make up for maybe a bad match or something like that right it's it's right. very performance driven and uh so there's a lot of pressure that comes with it so Okay. So yeah, you're just making sure that they haven't reached their ceiling. Like you're saying at 80%, like he's exactly. made it to the hundred percent. So they know his capabilities. Right. And if they have a team of, let's say I have a team of 10 for a rifle team, what have you, they're going to look at the lowest common denominator, right? <laughs> who's, yeah. who's always going to be there for team matches and who's going to perform the way they need to. And, and they'll look at other criteria that, that it is important um, so, you know, it, it all depends on the individual shooter. And I will say this, uh, especially when I was in like the coaches and the, the, the people that are in charge of the team, whether they're enlisted officers or, or, uh, civilians, depending on the era of the AMU, they always, um, keep in mind the personal strengths of the person. So even if you aren't a national champion level shooter on a rifle team, if you're a great coach for your team for like a, you know, a small unit at Camp Perry kind of thing. Um, then that's, that's a huge thing. You've coached your team to win. You're a valuable asset. So it all depends on the dynamic and the role and what they're thinking and who's waiting in the wings. Nobody's waiting in the wings. You're fine. <laughs> there you go. That's an excellent explanation. So when you went in the army, the, um, military had just recently transitioned to the Beretta. Mm -hmm. What pistols were you guys shooting? So in basic, I used a Beretta, um, and uh, but in at the AMU, we used basically. I, I, I shot it either an STI or a Caspian, depending on the year, um, in open division. So we were using the state of the art equipment at the time. This was back when there was only two divisions in the sport, mostly open and a little bit of limited. So. Um, it's, it's come a long, long way <laughs> evolved. I'm dating myself. There was no production. <laughs> um, so that wasn't an issue back then. Uh, so yes, I have shot, uh, the Beretta the M9, but, uh, not a ton of it. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's funny you say you're dating yourself. I was, um, Leo and I were discussing things before we had the interview and we were talking about Rob Latham and some other people. And we talked about, which I, we talked about something we'll, we'll talk about later, um, but one of the things that I noticed was Ernest Langdon won the um, inaugural production title mm -hmm. and Ernest and I were at Quantico as instructors together. Oh, wow. That's cool. So, yeah. So, you know, small world, but it's also like, wow, that was a while ago. Times have changed. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yes. Yeah, that's great. So were, were you guys using like Lake City ammo or were you using federal ammo? Like where did you guys get your ammo? Ammo back then, uh, we, we used uh, the boutique company Atlanta Arms and Ammo. We, we basically, uh, they're using a lot of that same, same uh, ammo today working with back then Danny Weisner. He's retired now, but we, we, we shot Atlanta Arms and Ammo and uh, mostly 38 Super Comp um, and then some 40 caliber. That's, we had boatloads of it come in. <laughs> and it was great, too, because it was convenient right there to Atlanta. Um, some of the service pistol teams used, I think, Black Hills and some other stuff. The loading um, attachment or team for the AMU hadn't really been focused on pistol development so much. They were really uh, more on the rifle side of things. Uh, and after I left, that, that whole facility blew up and they started developing rounds and that sort of thing. Um, so just the evolution of, of the AMU alone, we could talk for hours about <laughs> it's, it's changed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 
And I don't know how... I was on the Marine Corps High Power Rifle Team the okay. summer of 90. Gotcha. And uh, it was the same thing. Their reloading capabilities were all rifle-related yeah. and not pistol. I don't know if that's changed since then, but that's how it was then as well. I think mostly the loading facility still does a lot of test stuff. Um, so they can say, hey, this is what we want to do. This is what we want to make. Can you you know, make it? And, and, and to be fair, I mean... Uh, looking at factory ammunition today compared to what it was, you know, 20 years ago, it would never dream about shooting factory ammunition. One, because it didn't have 38 Super Comp. Who has 38 Super Comp anywhere to buy? And two, right. um, you know, it was just not geared towards competition. Now, gosh, we have Federal Premium Syntec. We've got all these boutique companies that are coming out with ammunition for the shooting sports. Yeah. So it, it's really a neat thing to see that the development of ammunition over the course of the past two decades is significant. Yeah, even the um, you know private companies that just reload ammo oh, yeah. that you can buy, the quality is so much better. It's crazy. Yeah, you're, you're not going to worry about a squib or a double charge. <laughs> right. The guy yeah, pulling exactly. a handle in his garage like, I got your lead bullets. <laughs> exactly. Now, what, what, made you, um, what made you decide to leave the Army? I, I, I was burnt out, um, you know, after so many years of, of pushing so hard, I won the nationals, open nationals in 99, steel challenge in 99, and the limited nationals in 99, and that was like a major, major year, right? Um, and then after that, things just started to, to change um, within the Army Marksmanship Unit. I was doing a lot more, um, a lot more... Uh, less shooting, I would say, and more promotional kind of things. And I didn't, it, it just didn't feel like I was getting what I wanted to out of it all. And it, it was just tired. I was tired of shooting for work and not shooting for fun anymore. So I took a break. I, I was like, you know, I'm done. I I'm, want to be out. Um, I got stop loss in the middle of it, but <laughs> I did eventually get out. And, uh, and oh, wow. I took a, a good six months off. And then I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go shoot a match again. And I fell in love with shooting sports for the same reason that I, you know, started out with my dad at eight years old, you know, at the people and having a fun time at local matches. And, and so then I started competing in divisions that I wanted to compete in and, and, and matches I wanted to shoot in. I had so much more control over my own destiny. So um, it was just it was just time. It was just time for me to, to go. Uh, and I got out after nine and a half years in the Marine Corps. And I and I think what people don't understand is that. It is exactly what you said. When you get out in that freedom, you realize that your life is no longer controlled 24 hours a day. And going back to what you said, you know, training five days a week becomes a job and not, you know, a pleasure, you know, yeah. not something you necessarily want to do. Now it's something you have to do or else. And right. it kind of takes the fun out of it. Yeah, it does. And you combine that with leadership that changes and and uh, all of a sudden, you've got somebody in charge of your team that has no idea what your sport is like. <laughs> and you're like, whoa, wait right. a minute, you want me to do what? <laughs> like, um, I kind of know what I need to do. <laughs> but the trust factor isn't there, and uh, it, it becomes hard. It, it, it's, it's, it can be draining. And uh, everybody thinks, oh, you must have it so easy if you're shooting for a military shooting team. It is a very intense, intense level of competition. So it's, it's, it's hard. Now... So you left six months later, you shot a match, fell in love with the sport again. How long after that did you start, um, did offers come in for sponsorship? So it's, it's funny. I, I had intended when I got out of the military to actually go back to school to, you know, use my GI Bill and get a degree in teaching. And um, so I was in the middle of that. It was the summertime. I was getting ready. I had all my paperwork in from the VA to go to Auburn University. Yes, I was so excited. And I, you know, a week out, I'm like, hey, I haven't really heard anything from the school. <laughs> What's going on here? Um, the VA never really submitted my stuff. So I wasn't going to be a student that semester. Oh, <laughs> um, so wow. I was like heartbroken and uh, needed yeah. to start looking for a job, essentially. And so I did some temp work and then uh, an opportunity with Glock Sports Shooting Foundation opened up. And so I was like, you know what? I know, I know shooting sports. I love them. This is a good fit for me for right now. And I took that position. Um, I wasn't with them for very long before Smith & Wesson snatched me up. <laughs> and I, I've been okay. on, uh, on Team Smith & Wesson since 2006. So Nice. 
Well, and that's what I was, that was part of my question was going to be, have you always been a Smith & Wesson sponsored shooter? Well, now I, now I know. But funny story, um, actually Smith & Wesson was my first gun sponsor as a junior competitor. So it, it's funny how everything comes full circle. I, I was using Smith's back when I, you know, was a teenager. So it's, it's pretty neat. Oh, wow. Now, what about, now I, I noticed um, you just put out a video that you're part of the Safari Land cadre. Yeah. So how long have how long have you been with Safari Land? Well, that's another what I call legacy sponsor. <laughs> I've been with Safari Land for ten years now, so uh, a good good stretch. And then now with Team Safari Land being retired and cadre coming into play, it's it's kind of like a a new new thing, and it, it's a lot of fun. It, it I like it because it takes some of the elements that you and I know, of course, from the military. Um, and kind of applies them to this modern day world of social media and shooting sports and all that. So it's, it's going to be a neat experience. I'm excited for it. For you. I read on your website that you're the only ladies triple crown winner. Could you explain what that is? So triple crown is a basically winning three USPSA nationals in the same year. So um, that's, that's probably okay. going to end here with the Williams sisters and what they're doing because <laughs> those girls are on fire. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. It, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, they're incredible, incredibly talented young women. And so, yeah, it, it's, um, we've, we've done a lot of like triple crown used to be in the sport would be, um, if you've won all three, uh, the both limited and open nationals and steel challenge, that was considered a triple crown, that sort of thing. So it just depends, you know, the eras have long since gone by where we even know what triple crowns mean anymore, but I'm going to cling to that victory because it's still mine. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and that's what we no, were... that's perfect because because we were so confused. We're like, so you just win three of something in the year? Like, I, I don't know. You know. Yeah, we were I'm trying to figure it out. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's it's funny because you know back going back twenty years, there weren't that many matches. I mean, when you had eight area championships, those were premier events. And then you would have a handful of things like Golden Gate and and uh, you know matches and a couple matches in Texas, the Miller Invitational, that sort of thing. Um, but you know everybody really tried to get to all eight area championships. That's not so much a thing anymore because there are so many matches now. You know you don't have to leave your area even. You can shoot you know this state match and that state match. It, it's really a neat yeah. thing that how the sport has grown. So um, a lot of those those old nostalgic titles that we have, and a lot of modern day shooters don't even understand. I mean, just spend 20 minutes with Rob Latham and ask some history and it's, it's incredible what we've forgotten. Um, and it's kind of sad that we don't have that written down or people don't know. I feel like we should have story time with Uncle Rob on like every weekend at a podcast. I wish he would do that. <laughs> well, and have them call us. Yeah. <laughs> Noted. We'll do it. Yes. Absolutely. Not a sponsor. Don't care. We'll do yeah, it. Yeah. I would even travel to him. Um, <laughs> well, and it's funny you bring him up because we were doing some research again when we were talking, trying to figure this out. Rob's the only male Triple Crown winner if you go with USPSA national titles. Mm -hmm. um, so you're in rare company and with the guy who has... 26 USPSA national titles. Yeah. It is crazy how many that guy has. Incredible. He's, he's the great yeah. one for a reason. Absolutely. Yes. Totally agree. Amazing. So I can only imagine, like you're saying, just sit down and be able to talk to him about the history of the USPSA. What was it like when you started shooting versus oh, yeah. now? And to, and to think he's still at that level today. That's amazing. It is. It is. I mean, he, the one thing that I will say about Rob that what people don't really understand is he loves to shoot. I like to shoot. You like to shoot. You know, we, we like elements of shooting. Rob loves to shoot. He, he loves it. It's in, it's in his DNA. And uh, he's just, I think that's one of the reasons why he's, he's an old soul in a lot of ways, but he's very youthful. I mean, he, he knows so much about shooting, but he's also, you know, just, he's really willing to examine even at this level of experience. It's, it's pretty amazing. It, it, he's totally amazing. What am I saying? He is, he is the great one. So. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I am as uh, Leo so notably stated on our last podcast episode that I'm a nerd, a numbers nerd, <laughs> and so I've been tracking. True. I've been tracking the low cap nationals, and he is top five right now. You know, through day two, he's top five, and the guy's been. I saw something where they were saying, you know, he's been doing this for forty years. Yep, I'm like that, that. That's incredible staying power right there. It is. So it is. good for him. Well, that actually, I know Dave has an order of operations, but that does uh, make me think of one thing that that we were talking about before uh, you called in, which was um, because you you have competed in, I believe, seven different divisions, basically everything in the USPSA. Revolver. What's up with that? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying. Like, Wait, you got a problem with wheel guns? People still shoot wheel guns. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> not when they're being held by you. But you know. so one of the really neat things um, that when I signed with Smith and Wesson, it opened up this opportunity, right? Like I could literally shoot every division with a gun from Smith and Wesson. And so that was kind of what I started to do. You know, I could have just, you know, shot production or, or a limited 10 or single stack throughout the whole time there. But I'm like, why not? And especially when we came out with the 929, if you haven't shot a nine millimeter revolver, you are missing out <laughs> because I'm telling you, it is amazing. Um, it's, it's a really, really shoot. neat gun to shoot. And yes, there is a learning curve. And instead of trying to stick a magazine into a magazine, well, you have to line up eight of those you know, bullets into the cylinder. It's not the easiest thing yeah. in the world. Um, but it is a lot of fun. And I learned more about fundamentals and shooting, shooting revolver than I did with any other handgun that I shoot. And so if you, if you do have a chance to play with it, I highly re recommend it. And even after all these years, people try to cut out the revolver division. We still stick around. Those the, the revolver shooters, they, they are, they are like <laughs> tenacious. Um, so it, it, it's neat. It, and there and just it was aren't fun many to... of them. <laughs> no. Um, but it's a very consistent division. Um, even though there isn't, it isn't a huge division. When you look at world shoot numbers, for example, it's it's consistent. There's a, a consistent number of people that shoot it. Unlike something like Limited Ten, where one year there may be a ton of shooters shooting it just because the way the nationals lay out, or the next year maybe nobody, uh, just depending on how it goes. Um, but it's it's such a, a a unique division, and I think an important one for this sport, especially as we look at states that have such limits to what they can do or countries that have limits on what they can do. And so they, they can, you know, they can grab a 686 and still be able to compete in this sport or what have you. I think it's important to have that there. Well, and you get to compete with people like Jerry Michalek. So there you go. I mean, there you go. Not a bad way to spend your day. But, you know, right. And when I started competing with Revolver, and, and I went to i and shot revolver matches, that sort of thing. I mean, the Asins and Nat and Elliot are amazing. The Hogues. I mean, there are so many really good revolver shooters out there. Um, and it's, it's a really neat community. It's, it's fun. And they're sweet people. So it's good. So shoot 9mm revolver. There you go. Yeah, my, my, my youngest son's favorite gun is a twenty two revolver we have. He loves mm -hmm. that thing. Yep. So. It's a great, great, fun Now, option. when you were um, racking up title after title after title, when you got out of the AMU and you were on your own, what did your training regimen look like then? Oh. <laughs> uh, um, much, much less uh, training. <laughs> One, I had a job. Okay. <laughs> so I actually had to do, do a, a real job during the day and, and not shoot. <laughs> not that shooting wasn't a real job, but uh, uh, so it was, it was much different. But it made me appreciate things more. Um, it made me understand, and, and this uh, same thing when I became a mother and a parent, it made me realize that, you know, I had been in this bubble of my young 20-something or teenage self shooting for the military um, that, oh, you know, this is just what we do all day. And then to have to juggle everything and make time, it shows a dedication and a desire to do it. Um, and I have a lot, of, a lot more respect now for 
parents and people who do this as just a fun hobby and have set goals while they're trying to juggle a million different things and paying for things. Um, it, it's, it was definitely an eye opener. And I noticed, you know, like back, back then when you started doing this on your own, the only real book out there I imagine was Brian Enos's book. Beyond that, it doesn't seem like there was a lot for training or any of, you know, like nowadays, if I get on there every, there are a hundred different books I could order and yep. read yep. and there's videos. So I imagine it took a lot more internal um, evaluation to figure out what you needed to do to make Julie better. Absolutely. Well, you know, one of the things that there used to be uh, programs like Shooting USA was still, I think it was, what was it called? American Shooter back then. It switched the name to Shooting USA. Um, there was a guy, uh, Lenny McGill, who would go around and film the Nationals. And he you would get your, you know, you put in your order and you get your VHS tape and you'd sit there and you'd watch everybody shoot. <laughs> so you could pick up the skills. Oh, wow. Um, that was your training the, tape. Exactly. Um, and Plaxco had a book. Um, J. Michael Plaxco had a book out there and, um, you know, and then there were the older ones, um, like, uh, you know, Ed McGivern stuff, um, but nothing really comprehensive. Like there is like books of drills that you can literally find anywhere from anyone these days. And it's great that there, there's so much information out there. So yes, it was a lot of, uh, of research and evaluation and practice and, I think a lot of that is the reason why we're seeing such fantastic growth for shooters so quickly now. Um, you know, back when Rob started shooting in the 70s and all through the 80s and 90s almost, you know, you almost had to kind of figure out what your deal was on your own and, and then you trained and maybe you would give a few classes here and there if you had time on the circuit. But now, because there's so much information out there, we're seeing the learning curve just go through the roof so quickly. And people are able to, used to be, you, you know, you shot your first match and you'd be happy with D-class for two years. <laughs> now it's like, no, I'm going to be in D-class for a month. <laughs> That's it, right? And so it's, it's really uh, amazing to see how things have progressed so much over time. So, in, okay, you have as... Um, Leo mentioned earlier, you have shot a lot of different disciplines, not just USPSA, but Bianchi Cup, uh, Ipsic World Titles, all kinds of stuff. Did you ever have an issue where you get bleed over of roles from one to the other and it's, or how did you keep all of those different things separate? So, you know, it's, it, in Ipsic, um, and USPSA, they're so similar. The only issues would be in equipment stuff. So you just did your homework beforehand, not a big deal. The only time that I've ever had some sort of like rule lapse was in the early days of IDPA compared to USPSA because, you know, where you could change magazines, where you couldn't change magazines, that sort of thing, because they were so very specific. Um, now where IDPA is, it's much more similar to original USPSA, um, except with a, a couple little things that make IDPA unique. So um, it's not as easy to, to screw up <laughs> as it was in the beginning of IDPA, um, but not, not too terribly. You know, when the buzzer goes off or the targets turn, um, you're usually so focused within the sport that you're shooting that uh, you're, you're not going to mess up too much. I, you know, thankfully, I've never shot seven or eight shots on a target at Bianchi because that would be a bad thing. <laughs> In 2016, you and, come on, Max Michelle won the inaugural Carry Optics USPSA National Championships. Um, one, as former AMU shooters, don't you guys think that was a little selfish? Not allowing anybody no. else to win. Had to be two former AMU guys. And two. I never thought of that. Two, it was nice of you to kind of let other people win. But Max is being very greedy. I kind of feel like he needs Max an intervention. Like maybe a mother-son or a sister-brother talk with you. <laughs> I mean, he's just not being very nice. No, you know, sharing is caring. <laughs> well, but we've noticed, I mean, 
Max is really focused in on carry optics. That's his main deal now. Um, yeah, whereas before that was open. So it's just has been a transition for him. And he's always been uh, most comfortable when he sits in a division, when he gets to spend all the time focusing on it. And that's why he's just excelled so far. Um, there's a lot to say for specialization, and Max is a perfect example of it. Not to say by any means that he can't shoot other divisions, but he really, when he spends a year dedicated time in a specific division, and like he has with carry optics, that's why you see such miraculous performances. It's really, it's really awesome. Yeah, I mean, he he is a and he is a former Open national champion, so he's definitely, you know. Uh, as you said, yeah. I mean, he can shoot other stuff and he has, so very impressive. Mm -hmm. uh, but I thought that was interesting that when I went back and looked, I was like, holy cow, they both won it the first year. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Now, I was also on your website and after reading everything you've Caught done, it says you've two. been on <laughs> MTV. And I'm like... Right. MTV. I mean, is there anything this woman can't do? What does she rap? Is she a drummer, lead singer? I mean, do do Pete Townsend and John Entwistle need to worry about their status in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> no, what, no, no. What was MTV? You're gonna have to tell us what that was. So um, back when we fell under recruiting command for the Army Marksmanship Unit, MTV came to Fort Benning, Georgia to kind of do a promotion on the Army. I'm sure the Army probably paid for it. Um, but yes, Simon Rex was the VJ. And I introduced this little um, segment of shooting from the Army Action sh Shooting Team. And so, yeah, I was, I was a little talky-talky with uh, a VJ from MTV. So it doesn't make me any cooler to my kids, but that's all right. <laughs> that's a neat experience. It was. It was really cool. I have a video of it somewhere. Well, it's like, it's interesting because that was... <laughs> <laughs> But it's funny because that's actually how I first found out who you were was I went to Elite Shooting Sports in – not a sponsor, not by a the sponsor. way uh, – here in Virginia, close to where I live. And I'm like, hey, I think I know that lady that's giving the safety talk. And I was watching the loop. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I recognize her. And then I'm like, I got to know who she is. And you introduced yourself at the beginning, but I walked in in the middle, so I had to wait. And I'm like, I'm going to look her up. And I was like, okay, she's a big deal. <laughs> So thank you for doing that, because otherwise oh. it was great training for you to be on a video. There we go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All right. So more of a serious question. Now we're getting to Lanny Basham. Okay. Have you, when you okay. were on the AMU, did he give you guys classes on mental management at that time? Yes. So is that something that like all of the, uh, the AMU shooters have the opportunity to partake in? Um, so it was that way when I was there. I can't say for what it, what it is now. And I got out in 2003. But basically, the AMU would contract Lanny to come out and uh, you know do a series of classes so that everyone would be able to see his presentations and that sort of thing at, at headquarters. And yeah, I mean, I think, I think the first time I sat through one of his talks was probably in 97 or 98, maybe 96, I'm not sure. Um, but yes, and it was very much an integrated thing into our training. I still have the notebook somewhere that I have from, or in the, in the cassette tapes that I have from that, those sessions and, and that sort of thing. But again, I don't know what they're doing with it now. Okay. I, and I asked that because, I mean, him being a part of the alumni, I imagine that yeah. and him having created that whole mental management program, I imagine that's something that he would have been doing with the shooters, but I had no way to confirm. Yep. yep. So, Confirmed. Okay. <laughs> Confirmed. What is Julie G TV? Oh, <laughs> that's just um uh it's just a url that goes directly to my youtube channel <laughs> so it makes it easier um back when, oh, okay. when you when i started youtube you couldn't use your name as your your handle on youtube so now it's my name if you type in 
youtube.com slash Julie Golub that comes up, right? But for a while there, it was like 8675309. Not really, but <laughs> close enough that people wouldn't really be able to remember it. <laughs> so I bought the URL, julieg.tv, so that it would point to my YouTube channel. Ah. <laughs> She's definitely given that phone number out before, though. Yeah, like, yeah. She, it came up real quick. That's like right at the top of her Rolodex. <laughs> yeah. I will have to say. But we're dating ourselves right now because some kids awesome. don't know it. <laughs> Right, that is true. I was like, oh my gosh, that came out real quick. I've received that number before. Problem is, I was a teenager <laughs> at the time. <laughs> but I was going to say, it was the fact that, uh, yeah, your YouTube channel is awesome. I've watched uh, several of your uh, episodes, oh. and uh, I had to say, I, I love I love it, and it's great. Um, I love the fact how you, uh, especially when you did your uh, world shoot and you did your breakdowns, uh, of the stages and everything like that. So that was pretty awesome. And I think you did an awesome job. And uh, I love how you also, on one of your YouTube channels, that you explain that you are a one production woman and how you have to do everything. So that was pretty cool. Well, thank you. Uh, I think I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, much. she does all of her media stuff. So, Julie, I, I see you have three books out. You've got Shoot, Your Guide to Shooting and Competition. Then you have another book, Toys, Tools, Guns, and Rules, which is a children's book about gun safety. And you ha even have Shooting While Pregnant, a resource for expecting moms. Um, are there plans for any further books in the future? Uh I, you know, I keep teasing this to people who like to follow on my cooking on uh, Instagram. And I every year I said, this is the year. This is the year I'm going to write the cookbook. <laughs> um, but uh, I do have a cookbook in the works. I don't know when I'll be able to put it all together. But that's my next project because um, I love to cook and we love to eat. So it works out. <laughs> people seem to like it. At least all the right. pictures. So, that's interesting. That's not even, you know, remotely related to shooting. So... That's, what do you, is it baking or cooking? It is in a way cooking? because um, I, I, it's, oh, it's cooking. It's mostly wild game. So I also hunt. So it's kind of a conglomerate of, you know, what I gleaned from my travels with shooting with ethnic, ethnic food rather. And then also with venison. So it kind of marries the two together in a delightful concoction. So that's what I'm hoping for anyway. <laughs> Very nice. I like it. Are oh, you making a fat kid hungry? We're, we're fans of venison for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yes. yes. Okay. They, the question is, I saw it from Leo. He says, I saw your 50 round uh, CCW maintenance drill. In the explanation, you state to use the shot timer to get the most from the drill. However, it doesn't look as though time factor in, entered the drill. Uh, is this just to see if you get faster the more you shoot the drill? Question. Yes, yes. So a lot of the, the resources that I try to develop on my website are for people who are not competitive shooters, so they don't have a shot timer. So for someone who does have a shot timer, that makes things very easy. And the nice thing about using a shot timer is you can track your progress, right? You can make notes and you can figure out if you've gotten faster or if you're slowing down or if the hits synced up with your speed, that sort of thing. But a lot of people that are training, especially for CCW, don't have a timer. And uh, even setting up something on the phone is a little bit more challenging for them. So that that's in there to kind of say, hey, if you have one, it's a good idea to use it. But if you don't, get out there and practice anyway. It's still going to be a good thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Let's see here. Um, let me see if there's another question that comes up. Okay. Um, yeah, give me one second. I'm doing it now. Yep. They are working on posting questions right now. So... Since we have that synaptic dislink. That's <laughs> oh, so strange. Okay. I know, isn't it? And I sure didn't plan on this. <laughs> um, oh, I can see them in the chat. Keep your glasses on, Huggy. Yes. Can you see okay. that in the chat now? Okay. I can see the chat too. Yes. I'm like, oh, there's a chat. Oh, awesome. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Ask away. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. My eyes were like going, oh my God. <laughs> We can tell. <laughs> that's why. That's Fine. why I'm not the greatest shooter. 
All right, so I see a, a question from David. Dougie, ask the question. The question is, what are your future competition plans? Yes. So for right now, I am focused primarily on Action Pistol, which is Bianca Cup, and mostly because uh, it's very close to home for me. Everything's relatively local. Um, being in Missouri, I just drive a couple of hours, and I can go to Bianchi and a bunch of other matches here in the area. Plus, it's a nice way to ease back into things after a crazy year of coronavirus <laughs> so um and 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 other things that have gone on in life so i don't have a huge schedule uh planned for this season um but it's it's going to be a good amount for me i think to to get back into it and obviously um if you know anything about bianchi it is a very very challenging course of fire uh very accuracy intense so uh it's not like i'll be slacking <laughs> <laughs> And uh, see, he's going to, Dave's got another one for you. Yeah. So do you plan competing at the national level then? Yes. So Bianchi Cup is a national match. I have two area championships that I'll plan to shoot an action pistol this year. Um, the rest have been canceled. And then uh, Bianchi Cup itself. And I may or may not go to a couple of state and regional events in, in August. But yeah, not, <laughs> Bianchi's in like two weeks. So <laughs> I'm out there practicing oh, wow. every night and getting ready for it. And we'll see how the things things play out. But uh, it's always a, it's, it's a nice match to kind of get your feet wet in because it's 192 rounds and you can spend a lot of time in dry fire and you can be really focused on your training. So it's not like you're working on a million different things like USPSA or IDPA or what have you. And you have to like, oh my gosh, I need to work on this. And oh my gosh, I need to work on that. It's four courses of fire, so you're really working on those four things. Okay. Well, that's interesting. What will I be shooting? Um, I'll be shooting in the open division there. I'll be using uh, Smith & Wesson 9mm 1911 with a Trichicon MRO and Federal Ammo uh, Safari Land rig. And it's uh, Bianchi guns, if you haven't seen them, they look rather space age. The open guns are like unlike anything that you may have seen in other open divisions. Guns actually have wings so that you can mount them on the on the barricade. I have a shroud. Uh, the the optic is mounted very very high off the top of the gun. So uh, there's a big prone pad, a big base on the bottom of the magwell, and uh, I think mine weighs 63 ounces. My open gun, so she's a beast. Um, but uh, it's wow. a lot of fun. It's a precision based, speedier shooting sport. So. That's like four pounds. That's like four pounds. Yes, I know. <laughs> it's like four pounds. It's like, it's whew, huge. Build up the muscles. And you have to shoot it yeah. with support hand only. So, um, yeah, you can't be. Everybody's like, oh, Bianchi's for wimpy shooters. I'm like, have you lifted this thing? It's, it weighs a ton. <laughs> and you got to go prone fast, yeah. really fast. Yeah. <laughs> so, exactly. it's like a concrete block. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, Dave just says it's like a concrete block. <laughs> hey now don't talk about my gun like that <laughs> no just kidding <laughs> okay brick okay brick <laughs> well i don't know if a brick is that heavy though <laughs> so have you watched or followed any of the uh, uspsa national championship that's taking place now in talladega I've seen uh, what has been posted like on Instagram and a little bit on Facebook. Um, it, you know, one thing I will say is I love that we are able to see live events and see what's going on. And of course, you know, John Scouten's there with Shooting USA, so he's going to capture a lot of the blow by blow of what's going on there. But from an outsider who may not be into the sport so much, it, it just looks like a bunch of people just running around and shooting. It's, it's very hard to understand what's going on. I would love to see like a little overlay on the bottom of the description of the each stage, um, you know, so you could like pick up something and be like, oh, okay, that's what they're doing. Otherwise, it's just right. really hard to make things out and, and who's shooting exactly. Um, it's, it's, it's hard and it's exciting because this level of coverage we haven't really seen in a long time. Um, you know, we've seen it a, a, a few places here and there with like other TV shows and that sort of thing. So it's really great that USPSA is doing it, but I can't wait for it to be at a level where it's almost like turning on ESPN in the old days when you could see everything bow by bow of, of who's in contention and who's not. And that's a lot of work, I realize, <laughs> but uh, yeah. we can all dream, yeah. right? <laughs> right. For sure. Right. Right. So. Absolutely. Uh, 
I think that's awesome that they are doing this. Um, I agree with you. I wish they would put a, the layout of the or the overview like you do on your channel. So that way, like you said, it's almost like people can say, see and like, oh, okay, so they're going here, then there, to there, to here. So right, nice little, right. little way for them to follow and everything like that. Um, I, I think it's awesome now that they are doing this because uh, other friends like of mine, they know that I shoot in, these, in this stuff, but now they can actually watch the event take place and watch people, other people shoot and... Uh, and I think it will draw other amateurs into the sport to try and to become better, you know, I agree. themselves. I agree. What I like about it, too, is we're showing so many people shooting. It's not just, like, if you go on Instagram and you're just following top shooters, you watch JJ on Instagram and you feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm horrible. Like, I can't, yeah. like, I, I feel like I've got 10 left hands, right? And so you're right. so discouraged. Whereas if you see people who are competing in all of the classes, in all of the divisions, it's really one of those things where, like, hey, I, I can do what she did. I can do what he did. And it kind of opens the door for the sport, which is really what we all need. We need more shooters, definitely a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure uh, is. Dave, Dave put a couple of chats in there. You might want to. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I'd love to talk about that. Um, so one of the reasons I didn't compete so much last year um, was my oldest daughter was diagnosed with very rare disease called juvenile dermatomyositis. It's a mouthful. <laughs> I won't make you say it. <laughs> um, but it's a very, very uh, strange disease where the immune system can attack the muscles. And so our lives have changed a lot here. Um, we have weekly shots of chemo and uh, we've been going to monthly infusions for steroids and IVIG. I came up with a little Cure Jam challenge. We raised a whole bunch of money uh, for a charity that is working to uh, do that. And so I created a little, you know, a little target and a lot of people shot it and it, it's still up there on my website if you want to go have a fun drill and shoot some stars. <laughs> um, but yeah. it's been, it's been an interesting journey, but uh, everything is going so well and we have done everything that we've needed to that um, she's doing really, really well. And God willing, this month, knocking on everything, crossing everything, this will be her last um, infusion month. So we'll still continue with the shots of chemo and, and oral medications, but um, just over the moon. <laughs> so uh, very, very excited about that. That's awesome. That yeah, we wish her the best. Um, is the challenge pistol only? I see it. Um, so the Aim to Cure Jam challenge is anything. <laughs> you can shoot it with a handgun. You can shoot it with a rifle. I think I've shot it with a okay. rifle with a MMP 22. But it's just a fun little thing. It's it's uh, you know something you can print out on your at home on a piece of eight and a half by eleven, and and just shoot it. It's just a, a just a fun little drill that uh, hopefully encourages people to be a little bit more accurate because they are pretty small. Um, but it's it's just something yeah. that I thought would be a fun way to. It tie in the people that were so gracious, the shooting community that just came out and helped us and was, is so supportive. So just a, a nice little fun thing that if they wanted to do that in addition, they could. So <laughs> it's there. <laughs> is it time for my pop quiz question? Hey, remember that question. You're going to have to remember the answer. Or not, or you fail, or we're not going to count this. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Oh, he says the triangle is very small on the target. The triangle is very small. It's a challenge, right? It's a shooting challenge. You want to, you want to, yeah, that, that's right? a challenge. You wanna, it is yeah. a tiny triangle. It is tiny, but you know, you got to make everything fit on a, on a sheet of piece of paper. So, and it, it, it all has a very symbolic kind of meaning to it so if you if you check it out and read it it'll make sense so yes it's, it's yeah. tough it's hard you can hit it i believe in you okay <laughs> <laughs> i can't as you obviously see because i've got to like squint and get all close up on the screen just to read. <laughs> well you can set the target up at any distance you want it's it's totally up to you <laughs> i don't think like right here is supposed to be <laughs> <laughs> there's powder burns on the target <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> Nobody's judging. <laughs> I'm glad nobody is because of man what I believe. <laughs> Leo just sent you one. 
Okay, you wrote a great article subtitled Honesty and the Value of Getting Uncomfortable. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I just wrote an article for Shooting Industry Magazine, which is basically a publication that's for gun dealers and people in the industry, that sort of thing, companies. And um, the whole publication is geared towards how to reach consumers, customers, and to you know grow the shooting sports and, and the community of gun ownership. And so this one uh, is in the women's issue this month, and it's about um, taking cues from other successful entities within social media, other bloggers and, and women presence, you know, social media influencers on the internet to kind of learn from them. And it focuses on being open and welcoming to women uh, in particular, but also we don't have to sugarcoat everything either. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of times uh, people are so delicate when it comes to matters of gun safety or or gear or talking about things because they, they want to be so welcoming that they, they think that women can't handle or new shooters can't handle a little tough love when it comes to, you know, keeping your finger off the trigger or that sort of thing, where we really need to make sure that these are first and foremost. Um, so it's, it's just a little blend of taking cues from, from other places uh, and uh, applying them to our industry. Beg, borrow, and steal. Um, <laughs> so we can, you can bring more people into, into the fold. So that's what the article is about. It's also, you can read it for free online if you go to Shooting Industry Magazine on their website. I don't know if it's actually shootingindustry.com or the magazine, but if you just type it out, I'm sure you'll find it. And then they have a, a way for you to either skim through the articles or see the whole issue online. So it's pretty cool. Virtual. That is All right. <laughs> I'll check that out. I will have to say that the one, I see the one photo that's on your website, um, of you, it looks like you're holding a football. Is that a football that you're holding and shooting at the same time? <laughs> so, uh, you mentioned earlier my stage breakdown videos. I had, as that stage is in the stage breakdown video that I posted today. So that is a stage from the IPSC World Shoot where you are holding a rugby ball and the course of fire has you standing in, you know, in the shooting area with this ball and you had to hang on to it and you're like dodging like rugby opponents and then you had to like, what is it? Slam dunk it? It's not a slam dunk. Spike it, I guess. Spike the <laughs> slam dunk it. You can tell I'm not a sports person, right? So you had to spike the ball on the stomp pad at the very, very end, push it down, and that's what activated the swinger and shoot the rest of the target. So it's a strong hand stage. But yes, everybody asks about that. Like, what are you doing with a ball while you're shooting? Like a baby, yes, but no, a ball, why? <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, that's a, it's a fun one. Oh, yeah. I had to say, I, I love the picture. I did, but I, I'm like, it took me a minute. I'm like, what is, is that a football? I'm like, I know. I'm like, I know. wow, that's, that's definitely different. I've never right. seen that before, but uh, I, I liked it. I, being a former athlete myself, I'm like, I'm digging it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely check out that stage then because it, I walk you through the whole dealio and all that good stuff. So. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I think we're good. You know, obviously... <clears throat> Uh, if you check out my website, you can see all of the companies that support me, Smith & Wesson, Trigicon, Federal, Safariland, Caldwell, Tipton, Wheeler. I appreciate them so much, especially with this crazy season, with everything going on with my daughter. Um, if you want to take the Aim to Cure Jam challenge or learn more about Cure Jam, um, you can go to curejam.com. Um, I am not sponsored or affiliated with them at all. I just love to to raise awareness and raise money for this particular disease that my daughter has. And they have been, uh, you know, for a charity, they personally reached out to me and always check in on us. And it, that means a lot. Um, and then after that, uh, it's just, you know, if you go to juliegall.com, everything I'm doing is all up there. It's an open book <laughs> pretty much <laughs> of what I'm yeah, up to. And, it is. Uh, that sort of thing in social media links are there as well. I really appreciate you guys having me on. This has been a lot of fun. I love that. A lot of times when I come on podcasts, it's there people who don't generally know very much about the shooting sports in general, or much less specifically about the shooting sports. So to be able to get into the the finer details and like you know you, you sit with somebody and they don't even they know who Rob Latham is, but they couldn't tell you what he shoots, um, sort of thing, or or be able to do that stuff. So this has been a ton of fun. I really really appreciate it. Well, we've had a great time with yes. you also, and it has been our pleasure 
to have you on here and uh, we hope that maybe in the future you know if you're available to come back on uh, for for future episodes so. yes that would be fun this is great i promise i'll have better internet next time <laughs> not only we'll be able to talk with all of you <laughs> that, that, yes that'll be fun that will be fun so thank you very much again for being on our podcast and uh we yeah. look forward to seeing you in the future okay i do see one awesome. more question you. do you want me to answer that one okay Yep. Um, so, yes. Leo, yep. are, yep. are yes, there any words of wisdom? Yes. Are there any words of wisdom you have for new or prospective shooters? Um, I would say that if you're new to gun ownership in general, I can't say enough to seek out resources, seek out training to help you get on the right foot to start with. Um, we mentioned in this podcast, you know, how in the beginning of the shooting sports, you kind of had to figure everything out on your own to really progress. There are so many great resources out there and so many wonderful people to tap into their knowledge on how to get started in a great way. Um, I would say more than anything, if you're going to start on uh, learning how to shoot, work on the fundamentals and get those gun handling skills up to par so you don't have to think about anything. But after that, I mean, just explore this wonderful shooting community. It doesn't matter what shooting sport you're interested in or how you got here. Um, it's just a wonderful place to be. And shooters are just wonderful people. We come from all walks of life. And yet we, we can sit here and laugh on a podcast and talk about things and, and, and do stuff. And you'll find that that's what happens when you head to the range. You'll find, you'll find your people <laughs> and it's going to be amazing yeah. and uh, welcome. <laughs> Sounds like great advice. I want to thank you one last time and we appreciate everything you you have said and came on the show uh again we look forward to seeing you in the future likewise likewise and until next time don't be a little bitch yeah